Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Housing for the Aged Action Group, Haig for short, a housing group for older people run by old people. Present Raise the Roof. We advocate for secure, affordable and appropriate housing. So listen up on the second and fourth Wednesday of the month at 5.30pm on 3CR 855 on your AM dial. That's right, you're listening to the Housing for the Aged Action Group show here on 3CR. My name's Shane and I'm in the studio with Fiona. Hi Shane. Hi Fiona. How's it going? Great. Um, <laughs> for today's show, you got to speak to three people from the Save Public Housing Group. Yeah. Um, it's a good and detailed discussion about some of the work that they've been doing. Sure is. So I reckon let's launch straight into it without further ado. Okay. Okay, so we're joined in the studio today by some people from the Safe Public Housing um, Group. Um, I'm here with David Kelly, who is an RMIT researcher, and I'm also here with Kerry Byrne, who's a public housing tenant who lives in South Melbourne. Um, And we're here today to talk a little bit about the public housing redevelopments and also some bigger picture issues around the stock transfers, which is the changing of um, public housing into community housing. So thanks for coming in today, guys. Thank you. Hi, Fiona. Thanks for inviting us. So I might start with you, um, Kerry, if that's okay. I'm going to ask you, um, so you live in public housing yourself, don't you? That's correct. And how did you get involved in um, this action group? Uh, Well, I've been reasonably involved in public housing issues for a long time, ever since about the year 2000 when... um, the Brax Labor government decided to invest in social housing at the expense of public housing. And so ever since then, we've seen rising homelessness, more um, housing distress from low-income Victorians. So it's been a, a concern the whole way along. Mind you, I haven't been active the whole time by by any extent. I mean, yeah, so David, you you can um, probably fill us in a little bit about your um, Safe Public Housing group. Is Would you be able to tell us how that group started? Yeah, so um, it's a collective of groups, probably the first thing to mention. Um, and it came into fruition about a year ago, so January-ish last year, 2019. And it really came out of a desire and a, and a manifest need that became apparent to join all the groups up mm. together. So there was a whole bunch of groups doing really, really good stuff in very, very specific areas and geographies around the city. But it became apparent that we weren't sharing resources or information. So the collective came about in order to correct that. And so what it does do is bring together a bunch of groups who are activist groups, potentially, um, like Friends of Public Housing, and then the estate-based groups that are directly affected by the redevelopments. Mm. So we have, say, Vascot Vale Estate, 
We had the Darbin Community Friends of Public Housing, which was Walker Street, and so on and so on. So there's 11 housing estates across, um, mainly in a city, Melbourne, that are being redeveloped. Um, so, Kerry, would you be able to tell us a little bit about what that actually looks like on the ground? So we've got 11 different housing estates that used to be I guess what's known as walk-ups. Walk-ups yeah. or low-rise estates. Right. So, so what's ex- what's happening out there? Can you can you tell um, people that may not be from Melbourne yeah. or maybe not aware of the type of housing and what it looks like right now as it's being redeveloped? Okay. Well, uh, what it looks like right now, uh, some of the estates, a few of them, are being partially. Uh, demolished already but basically I think we need to explain the premise firstly so the public housing renewal program it was announced by the um, Andrews Labor government a couple of years ago Uh, they've devoted 185 million to redevelop nine estates which they claim are tired and run down And the rationale is that public tenants will benefit from the social mix of a more diverse community on site. And obviously that's quite a patronising and misleading claim because public tenants are already involved in their local communities and this claim that gentrification is a great thing is not supported by the evidence. So really... Um, This estate renewal is actually a smokescreen over the Andrew government's privatisation of precious public housing land and assets. Um, So basically um, there there are nine estates to be uh, redeveloped under the uh, PHRP, so that's the an acronym for the Public Housing Renewal Program. And then there's two extra estates. Um, We can list them out if you want. But also I just wanted to say firstly that, um, look, you know, there may be an argument that uh, some of these estates could benefit from a degree of makeover for sure. But the buildings are generally structurally very sound. So, um, and they certainly... The, look, the the main issue is that two thirds of each estate is going to be uh, privatised. So the developers are going to come in, as they already have started, and um, they're going to build private housing. Plus, the government is funding them to build all of the social housing. Plus, um, the developers also get a um, a developer's levy on top of that. And I think the breakdown is about um, 70% of the overall rebuild will be private housing. And the 70-30 split was an initial calculation by the government to maximise revenue they would receive from private sales and make the projects attractive to the developers. Did you want me to list the estates so yeah, you get a better idea? I think that would be useful. So, so what you're saying is that at the moment there's um, these public housing estates, which is 100%. So every person living in those estates currently are public housing tenants. But once the redevelopment is finished... Um, there'll be more dense housing, so they'll pack more more places into Absolutely. the land. Yep, and then of the ones that they do sell, seventy percent of them will be owned by private owners, and thirty percent will be owned either by the public or by community housing providers. Yeah, that's right. But the main um, the main figure is that the government has claimed that they will build ten percent extra. Um, 
so for example, look, they have changed the figures along the way. Initially, it was across the nine estates, there was going to be 1,100 units that they were going to knock down and they were going to build 1,100 new public or social housing units plus 110 extra and that will give you the 10% extra. Mm-hmm. So um, since then, what, what Nick Foa said at the, um, the Upper House inquiry into the PHIP last year was that um, there would be 100 and, sorry, 1,611 homes across these nine estates, or it might be across the 11 estates because there's two extra estates, which is um, Holland Street, Flemington, Walkups, and also Preston. But then it gets complicated when you try to follow their logic because Preston is now included in the PHRP. So, mm-hmm. um, sorry, but it's a bit hard to be definitive on some of this. Anyhow, $185 million is now going to uh, rebuild 1,611 homes plus an extra 167, which brings you to the total of 1,778 uh, new public or social housing properties, right. supposedly. And so that's in the context of a wait list of, of on the public housing wait list. What's it sitting at now? 80,000 people. Yeah, so it's really a drop in the ocean, isn't it? Um, so maybe, David, you'd be able to tell us a little bit about um, the difference between, because we've mentioned it a couple of times, we've said social or public housing. So what is what is the difference? I don't know if anybody knows hmm. what that actually means for for tenants and for the government and, and how does that actually work. Would you be able to fill us yeah, in? Yeah, well, I mean, for tenants, there's a few really poignant points to make and that is your rent will go up. Mm-hmm. Um, so currently, if you're in public housing, you pay 25%. If you're in community housing, you pay 30%. Not only that, but they can hit you with a levy on top of that for services, such as collecting your bins or fixing the flickering light in the elevator mm-hmm. um, or maintenance of spaces that you don't use. Um, and they collect 100% of your Commonwealth Commonwealth rental assistance. Right. Um, that That is the kicker for the government because it's a direct subsidy from the Commonwealth Government, the Commonwealth Rental Assistance, and you currently don't get it if you're in public housing. But if you move over to community housing, they get that. All of a sudden, it becomes a more viable model that is technically not operating at a loss, but we'd argue that public housing doesn't operate at a loss either. Mm. Um, So there's those issues. There's a more fundamental issue around rights. So if you're in public housing, the state is mandated and obligated to adhere to the Victorian Charter of Human Rights and Responsibilities. Um, If you're in public housing, uh, community housing, sorry, it's ambiguous whether or not they actually have to adhere to it. Um, We have have advice from the Federation of Community Legal Centres that community housing providers do not have to adhere to the Charter of Human Rights. Some of them will say that they do, the the housing associations themselves say they do, but a a decision made in VCAT a number of years ago actually determined that um, it's a bit of a grey area, so whether or not your rights are protected is really um, unknown, and that that includes whether or not you actually have the security of tenure Mm. that you would in public housing, so you can be evicted a lot easier. Um, And we know that community housing has a business model based on trying to collect as much income as possible from the tenants. So that's whether they attract subsidies from the Commonwealth Government in the form of CRA or whether you're a working person 
on low income. Mm. So they prefer working people on low income mm. rather than people who are collecting New Start or DSP or any of those sorts of payments. So in effect, the most disadvantaged and poorest people in the community um, will not be an attractive tenant to a community housing provider. That's right. And last year, we seen that the Victorian Housing Register became much bigger. So what happened was we usually, if you're a public housing resident, you would be um, taken from the lowest quintile, the lowest fifth of income earners in the state. Community housing lobby effectively lobbied the government to change that. So that was the bottom two quintiles. So it's no longer the most needy, but it's the the second the bottom two the bottom two yep. so they can they can now cherry pick from a much broader base and ensure that they're not getting um what they would term as welfare dependent tenants mm-hmm. rather they would be getting more precarious workers in their in their blocks and do we know what percentage of um of the the sales of the new units will be public versus community housing or is that is that still unclear Okay, so the the sales refer to the private units, right. the the seventy thirty mix. So, I guess it's a seventy percent. I on each estate is going to be um, sold off, and we can show you some plans of, mm-hmm. of one or two of the estates if you like. In regards so, to the the actual thirty percent, the thirty percent, yeah, um, yeah. That will be, Kerry, you can probably talk to this, but 100% community housing. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what, um, I, I mean, I suppose we just need to be um, clear and I, I totally um, agree with everything David, David said and, and just in relation to the distinctions between um, community and public housing tenants, um, just to follow on from what David was saying, in public housing tenancies are secure and without a time limit and there's none of that discrimination about being on Centrelink payments where you might be seen as a less desirable tenant in community housing. But what I wanted to... We probably need to um, give people a good sense of what's going to happen to the existing public tenants on those estates, on those PHRP estates. So what we might do is we might go to a little break and hear some community announcements and then we'll come back and we'll start talking a little bit about what's actually happening on the ground at some of those um, housing redevelopments. Have you heard it on the news About this fascist growth thing Evil men with racist views Spreading all across the land They're pulling on the boots in Brazil and wiping off the eggshells in Moorabbin. Fascism's on the march and we say, yeah, nah. Yena Passaran is a new weekly program on 3CR dedicated to tracking this rise in Australia, Aotearoa and all around our increasingly warm little globe. Every Thursday at 4.30pm, starting January 16, we'll be talking to writers and fighters about some angry blighters. (laughs) 
So welcome back. Um, I'm in the studio today at 3CR with David Kelly from RMIT and Kerry Byrne, who's um, both of them are members of the Save Public Housing campaign, and we're talking about the Public Housing Redevelopment Program. Um, so Kerry, would you be able to tell us a little bit about what the implications are for the tenants who currently live in public housing and have been moved off those estates and what they're likely to be seeing when they come back to those estates? Yeah, sure, Fiona. Well, it has been very traumatic, we know, for um, lots of the tenants because, um, you know, we've been um, reaching out to some of those estates over the past two years and we know that some tenants have been relocated far away and so this also causes children to be uprooted from schools. Mm. Older people are uprooted from their social networks and their health services and so on. But... um, the government has given a guarantee that every every PHRP affected tenant will be able to return to their estates. And some of them, we have one member in the Safe Public Housing Collective who's waited until the very last minute to be relocated from her Walker Street estate Walker Street, Northcote, where she's lived for 40 years because she had, you know, she and it's absolutely her right to be located within an area where she can easily access her doctor. So finally, after, you know, 18 months of um, self-advocacy, I guess, she's Mm. finally got something that she can live with. So anyway, um, the other thing I wanted to say was that... um, what um, I was told by Housing First at one of the information sessions was that um, 75% of the allocation, for example, we're talking about Walker Street, but Housing First is also going to be managing the two Preston Estates and um, Abbotsford Street, North Melbourne. So we can assume that this is how um, they will choose or, or, or sort the app applicants. So um, 75% of the allocation for Walker Street Northcote will be from the public housing waiting list on the Victorian Housing Register. The first preference goes to returning tenants, then from the public housing priority list, and then um, non-priority public housing applicants. And then the remaining 25% of tenants will be taken from the non-public housing category of the Victorian Housing Register. The public housing tenants will pay 25% of income. Other tenants will pay 30%. But um, as David was saying, all will hand over 100% of Commonwealth rent assistance. And can I just say, one thing that hasn't really been brought to light about Commonwealth rent assistance is, can you imagine if you're on New Start, the government's giving you a bit of extra money to help with your rent, and you've got to hand over 100% to your landlord. Mm. You know, um, obviously this wasn't the intention of the Commonwealth Rent Assistance Program when Brian Howe originally brought it in. And the fact that it's become a revenue stream for social housing landlords, you know, I think it's um, fairly questionable. And but particularly for people on Newstart, mm. which we know is just a, a parlous amount that you can't actually live on. Uh, Fiona, there's just one other thing I wanted to say about the returning tenants yeah yeah because um yeah as we i think we already discussed that the government um they've all signed a legally binding agreement 
that they will be able to return. Mind you, um, many of the estates are going to have far, far less three-bedroom units. Mm -hmm. um, as we've seen with other social housing inner city developments, they're all mainly one or two bedrooms. Um, I did look at the figures for Walker Street. Unless it's changed in the interim, it's going from about 53 bedroom units down to five. Right. So can you imagine what that does to larger families? Obviously, they're going to be displaced. Um, and the other thing I wanted to say is that the question has been asked as to whether um, tenants who don't want to become a tenant of um, a housing association will they be able to maintain their public housing tenancy? And um, there has been a fair bit written about this. Um, the VPTA asked a question, which was, I found this on their website some time ago. I'm not sure that it's still there. They asked DHHS and uh, they were told, the rights of tenants with the right of return will not be diminished if they do not enter a lease agreement with Housing First. So basically you can come back and allegedly you can maintain your public housing tenancy. And one of our members who's a tenant at Walker Street, um, they, um, they asked DHHS... Yeah, keep... They asked, <laughs> sorry, they asked DHHS um, how that would pan out and they were told that DHHS would then compensate the social housing landlord and presumably that's for the loss of... Commonwealth rent assistance, the yeah. loss of income. Okay, so we might just go for a little break and um, we'll be joined by another guest in just a tick. Okay, so we're joined in the studio by Claire um, Hanson, who's from the Ascot Vale Public Housing Estate, and she's going to tell us a little bit about what's happening at Ascot Vale right now. So Ascot Vale is the third or fourth um, fourth um, estate that's been redeveloped. So can you tell us what it's been like for you, Claire, and, and what it's like for the tenants who are, who are remaining, if there is any remaining? Well, there are plenty remaining. It's yeah. um, being uh, sold off in sections. Okay. Okay, now they've... Um, uh, on the 10th of December, the Mooney Valley Council gave unanimous approval for a section, uh, the prettiest section, I might add, to uh, to go under the um, public housing public housing renewal development plan. Whatever it essentially means that they're pulling it down, right. wonderful buildings, and putting up pretty much the same number of dwellings, but built out of clapboard and you know an Allen key. Yeah, the sort of stuff that we've Quickly seen. Quickly put up. Yeah, yeah, very, very badly put together and they're not designed to live in at all. Um, <clears throat> how it's affected people is I had people over the last two years when this was all being emptied out, yeah. that particular part of the estate being emptied out, I had people coming to me crying and going, how can we stop this? Yeah. They were in tears. They did not know where they were going and they've just disappeared. Yeah. Just disappeared, you know. So... Um, they moved unhappily, you know. It's not that's not to say all everyone wants to stay in Ascot Vale or any of the other estates. There's certainly people who want to transfer for whatever reason. That's not the issue. This is about keeping these buildings up yeah. for the next lot of people who need that safety barrier. Yeah. So, um, how what percentage of those tenants do you think are older people? Because do you think there's a lot of people that have lived there for a long time? I would say of the group that of the of the 80 flats that have been emptied, 
um, and they were all two bedrooms. So let's um, we can't assume there were 160 people, one to a bedroom, but somewhere between the 80 and 160 yeah. would be a safe bet. I would say that more than half were elderly yeah. and have been there a very long time. The last tenant to leave was actually a woman in her 80s mm-hmm. who had crossed the threshold with her husband on her wedding day and raised her family there. Oh, wow. And she was bullied out. She hung on till till uh, late November right. just last year. And so have they begun actually knocking over the buildings? No, because they don't actually have anyone who has signed up for the right. redevelopment. It's been, it was put out to tender two years ago and nobody wants it, which I find very surprising mm. because it's a very good area. Yeah. And so we're talking about um, their two-storey brick walk-ups? At the moment, at yes. The, yeah. uh, well, three-storey. Three-storey, yeah. yeah. And is there much green space around there? It's mostly green space. I think this is a problem. Some people don't want people who are who are seen to be not contributing to um, have that much comfort and green space. And it also actually tacks on to climate change. Why are we pulling down old growth trees, which are, are, are plenty on that very side I talked about, yeah. Dunlop Avenue, Ascot Vale, to put in shrubs? Yeah. So do you think you'll be losing a fair bit of that green space with We've the redevelopment? Been, well, I've seen the redevelopment. I actually have a copy yeah. of the redevelopment and um, and there are very few trees that will remain, maybe four, yeah. And they, they, but they told, promised us they'll be putting in shrubs. We were promised that by DHH. Yes. Yeah. There'll be shrubs. Yeah. <laughs> so it sounds like there's quite a lot of tenants that are pretty active on that estate and, and are trying to do something about it. Um, is there some? Is there things that people who are listening can do to get involved? Certainly can. They can contact me um, on the SAVE website. That is SAVE Ascot Vale Estate and that is... Oh God, I've drawn a blank. That's okay. We can put it on our on our Sorry. show notes, and I think it would be listed on the the SavePublicHousing.com website as well. Yeah, yeah. So people that want to get involved, there's is there any events happening up in the in the near future that you'd like to talk about? Um, nothing planned uh, coming into the new year, but uh, I would like to get as many people involved with uh, a monthly meeting on Saturday mornings that okay. we were once running, yep. but sort of died off during the holidays. Yep. And also a lot of our um, 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 attendees were shifted away in the move. Yes. So, but we, so losing that community mm, there. But we want to keep those Save Ascovel State meetings happening on Saturday mornings. So whereabouts are they happening? Outside the Wingate Community Centre yep. on Wingate Avenue in Ascot Vale. Okay. And anybody's welcome to show up? Anybody. You don't have to live on the estate. Okay. And what time do they happen? Um about midday, midday on a Saturday. Okay. So midday every month on a Saturday at the Wingate Avenue um, Community Centre. Anyone's welcome to get involved and particularly support the Ascot Vale public tenants who are fighting for their community and their estates. Um, so thanks so much for joining us. We've got um, Kerry, Claire and David. And um, if you want to find out more about the Safe Public Housing campaign, which is a coalition of a lot of different local groups um, from across Melbourne who are facing the exact same same issues. Um, their website is savepublichousing.com um, and we will put all the details of that up on our website as well. So thanks for coming in, guys. Thank, Thank you. you, Fiona. Thank you. Um, that was such a great conversation, Fiona. We're yeah. going to have to get those guys back in the studio another time. I reckon. It was a good start to the year. Good start to the year. We're going to kick off. We're going to kick out 
some governments. We're going to make them build some public housing. Uh, Start gonna, the revolution. The revolution. The um, So, look, we're almost out of time. We would like to give you some contact information. Um, we at Housing for the Aged Action Group would love to hear from you. Um, if you're a public tenant who's interested in getting involved in some campaigning uh, or a private tenant who's interested in getting involved in some campaigning, uh, whether you want to get involved in some policy type stuff or you want some assistance because you're an older person with a housing problem, uh, please do give us a call. Number Numbers at HAG are 9654 7389 or 1300 765 178. Uh, both those numbers, as well as the contact information for the Save Albert Park group. Save Albert Park. What did I just say? Wow, that was a blast from the past. Save, save Public Housing Group. Savepublichousing.com. Uh, we'll, we'll be on our website as well as the 3CR website, the show notes, uh, once we podcast this app, which will be really soon. Um, thanks very much for listening. Our number's again, 96547389 and or one three hundred seven six five. 178. We're going to leave you with a song. Uh, the song that we're going to leave you with is from Lou Bennett, Leah Flanagan, and Mary Rose Paul. It's Now is the Hour. We'll be back in a fortnight with some more exciting older person's housing news. Thanks, Fiona. Thanks, Shane. CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Oh,